Thank you very much, Holly, for ministering in music. A note of thanks I would like to read from Laura Hessen family, Mark and Barb Grigo and family. Dear friends at Roaring Brook, on behalf of my family, I would like to once again thank you for the prayers, cards, and calls due to the recent loss of our Grammy. She was a sweet, hardworking, sassy lady who we will miss deeply. We rejoice knowing that one day we will see her again. Thanks again. Again, Laura Hessen family, Mark and Barb Grigo, and family. And also in way of thanks, note in the bulletin, but Ruth Ann and I would like to thank you for honoring us for 42 years of ministry last Sunday. came as totally, a total surprise, totally unexpected. If you thought you were going to surprise me, you did. But thank you very much. Let's pray together and then interact with God's Word. Father, we're so very grateful for revealing yourself in Christ, the living Christ, and also giving us what I call the written Christ, your Word. As we look at several portions of Scripture this morning, we want to be listening, understanding, with an intent to be walking in deep sensitivity to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Do we as a nation grumble against our civil governmental leaders? Do we as a nation grumble against our civil governmental leaders? You don't need to answer that. That's a thought question. But a follow-up thought question. Do you individually or as a family grumble against your spiritual leaders? Do you as an individual or as a family grumble against your spiritual leaders? As we wrap up a discussion on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 13 this morning, you can turn there if you desire to. Keep in mind that in verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9, Paul exhorts them to run a race and to run as to win. Then in chapter 10, 1 through 13, he says, here's some examples of people who did not win the prize because of the way they lived and they responded. And then in 14 through 17, he again encourages them to live well, and he says, flee from immorality. And keep in mind as we look at this passage of Scripture that he is writing to the church, he's writing to the Corinthians, applicable to us. And they are part of the bigger picture. He's not merely writing to the church in Corinth at a point in time, but in verse 1 he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. He appeals to history in the past. In verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Again, he's appealing to the church in Corinth, like appealing to us today, but he's looking back, saying you're part of something much bigger. He also is appealing to Israel as an example. Verse 6, these occurred as examples. Verse 11, these occurred as examples. And keep in mind that an example is to leave an impression upon us. Here I have a piece of paper. 
At the present time, it is blank. To illustrate example, I made an impression on the piece of paper. That's what example is. He's taking the items from Israel's history, and he says, they're to leave a mark upon your life and how you live, how you respond. I give these as examples. And as we look at these verses, we find in verse 1, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. In verse 6, he says, these things occurred as examples. In verse 11, these things happen to them as examples, to leave a mark, to leave an image upon your life. Living in light of examples in history is vital to getting the prize as you look at the context of the passage. In essence, he's saying, do not repeat the sins of your forefathers. Now, the items that Paul brings up, he brings up the issue of idolatry. They were, the Corinthians were struggling with idolatry, food offered to idols. He brings up sexual immorality. They were struggling with sexual immorality. That came up in chapter 5. And they lived in a city that was very immoral. He brings up the issue of grumbling. Appeals to an example from Israel's history. Grumbling about food. And in the context, he's dealing with food and eating. And then he brings up the example of resisting leadership. And the Corinthians were struggling in resisting leadership. They were struggling with Paul's leadership. And Paul devotes quite a bit of time to that in his second letter to the Corinthians. Notice in verse 6, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts in evil things as they did. That is, as Israel did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sit down to eat and drink and get up to indulge in pagan reverie. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're stand, standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you, except what is coming to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We want to pick up with verse 10. We looked at the other examples in previous weeks. But in verse 10 he says, And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Now keep in mind, as Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm appealing to examples from history that the Corinthians were battling with the example that Paul gives. The Corinthians were struggling with Paul being a genuine apostle, and they were giving some resistance. And again, as I mentioned before, that is addressed very clearly in his Second letter. And as we go back to the example that Paul is considering from Numbers chapter 16, 
we find that Moses was not looking to be a leader in Israel. Moses was not looking to be a leader in Israel. In Exodus chapter 3, we find that the Lord called Moses to go back to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we know that he had the burning bush experience. And during that burning bush experience, the Lord clearly said, Moses, you're going to go. But Moses didn't want to go because he said, who am I? And God dealt with that. And then Moses said, well, what shall I say who sent me? And the Lord dealt with that with Moses. He said, the people will not believe me. The Lord dealt with that. And then Moses said, Lord, I can't speak. And the Lord said, well, I'll give you Aaron. And then finally Moses said, Lord, I don't want to go. Send someone else. So Moses ending up in leader of Israel, delivering them from Egypt was not something he was looking for. He was called. Nor was Paul looking to be an apostle. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus, and a bright light you know, came from the Lord, and he came to Christ, and he was called to be an apostle. So we're dealing with Paul, who's a, an apostle, who did not do that by his own choice. The Lord stepped into the picture. And he's appealing to an example of Moses and the children of Israel. Moses was not a leader because he wanted to be. The Lord called him. So in Numbers chapter 16, we find that some things are happening that are very interesting. We're going to begin reading with Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1. And earlier in the book, Moses is called the most humble man on the face of the earth. But in chapter 16, Korah, the son of Ihar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan, and Abiram, and Eliab, and On, the son of Pelath, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves up above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah, And all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and has brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and to minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself. But now you're trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord 
that you and all your followers have banded together? Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? And now you want to lord it over us? Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I've not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Here we see there's a temptation, and the temptation is being acted upon on the part of some leaders, Korah and others that are mentioned. And that is to be discontent with the leadership of Moses, to be discontent with the leadership of Aaron. And keep in mind that Moses did not ask to lead Israel. The Lord called him to lead. And the text clearly says, That they became insolent. They rose up against Moses. With them 250 men, well-known men. You know. Were with Korah. They're going against Moses. They're resisting. The leadership. Of Israel. Spiritual leadership. And civil leadership in Israel at this point in time would have been tied together. But they're resisting Moses. And they end up resisting Aaron. And what happens in Moses' response when Moses heard this, he fell face down. And he says, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy and so on. See, we find leaders here are resisting Moses and Aaron, resisting spiritual and civil leadership that resulted in action. It gave birth to sin. Very strong response in verse 12 or 13, Dathang and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, we will not come. Moses summoned them. We will not come. Isn't it enough that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? No, we're not going to come. God called Moses to lead. Aaron was to be his spokesman. And the people are saying, the leaders here, I'm sorry, are saying, we will not come. Now, I want you to notice something interesting in verse 13. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? They're calling living in Egypt a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, let's go back to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we'll come back to number 16 in a few minutes. Exodus chapter 1, we know that Abraham 
gave birth to Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob and his sons ended up in Egypt because Joseph was there, you know, to preserve the nation. But in Exodus 1, what did Israel have it like in Egypt? Exodus 1 in verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. One day Moses had grown up, or after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people, where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He said to the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? We won't read it, but in chapter 5 of Leviticus, or Exodus rather, we find that Pharaoh said, because you're whining and complaining, I'm not going to give you straw anymore for making bricks. You must go throughout the land and find your own straw. But you have to continue to make the same number of bricks. But yet in number 16, the leaders that are complaining are saying, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Who are you to lord it over us? And you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. They forgot that in Numbers 13 and 14, they refused to enter the promised land. And as you read on in the text, we find that there's a test. They're to come with Moses and Aaron with censors. But I want you to notice in verse 28 of chapter 16. 28 of chapter 16 of Numbers. Then Moses said, This is how you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. I want you to notice, the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has sent me. But if the has not sent me, but if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. I want you to notice he treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground opened up under them, or the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished, and they were gone from the community. At their cries, all Israel around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Pretty strong, dramatic 
discipline from the Lord. For what? Resisting Moses and Aaron's leadership, but ultimately the Lord's leadership. You would think they would learn a lesson from that, but look at verse 42 or 41. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You've killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so it can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. And we know 14,700 died because of, again, the rebellion. Paul says to the Corinthians, in light of the fact that the people in Egypt were haughty and didn't listen, that they rose up against Moses, they opposed Moses and Aaron, they were the Levites involved in worship, And in the process, they sinned against the Lord. Paul says, Corinthians, I'm giving this as an example. The Lord gave it as an example. He wanted to make a mark on your life. These examples in 1 Corinthians, coming from Israel's history, or to leave an impression upon your life. Israel opposed a humble leader. Moses and another humble leader, Aaron. Even though there was judgment, as I mentioned, they continued their rebellion They're grumbling. The Corinthians were complaining against Paul. Paul says, here's an example. I want to to leave a mark upon you. Think about some examples. First of all, the primary application, grumbling discontent with with spiritual leaders and then secondary other God-given authorities. I grew up in a home that once in a great while there was some grumbling against church leaders. Ruth Ann grew up in a home where she would say that it happened fairly often. Apparently the Corinthians were being tempted along that line and Paul says... I'm giving an example of those who complained. 14,700 died in the plague, plus those that the earth opened up and swallowed. Do we talk about spiritual leaders in a negative, critical, cutting manner? Do we accept counsel from spiritual leaders? down through the pages of church history, and I shake my head sometimes and think, Christ continues to work. How many divisions have there been 
And those divisions often come about because there's discontent with leadership. How much complaining is there against spiritual leaders without going to the spiritual leader and seeking to address an issue? How much complaining, and this is bringing it down to another level, is there by children against parents, parents who are to be leading them spiritually? On a secondary level, some examples. Complaining about civil authority for Israel, civil and governmental, or civil, I'm sorry, and spiritual would have been known the same leaders at that point in time. Question, I'm not looking for an answer. How much dead time would there be on TV, radio, internet, if all criticism of political leaders stopped? No, just challenging us to think. For those of you who are in school, How often do you complain against or about your teachers? I can say that because I did. You know, we had a Mrs. Smith in high school, Biddy Smith. You know, that was her nickname. We had some other nicknames and said some things about teachers at times. We were not doing well when we did that. We were complaining against an authority over us. Paul is saying, Israel, or I'm sorry, Corinthians, I expect you to learn from Israel's history. God expects us to respond to his grace by considering church history. Learning from church history, Israel's history, shouldn't limit it to church, but limit it. <clears throat> and then in light of church history, evaluating our lives and living accordingly. So in light of Numbers chapter 16, how do we respond to spiritual authority? Do we accept it? Do we resist it? How to respond to civil authority? It has an impact upon us. And Paul clearly says to the Corinthians, these things happen as examples. And if you think you stand, beware, lest you fall. Beware, lest you fall. I've lived in the greater Wyoming Valley for 42 years. And as I've lived in the Wyoming Valley 42 years, I've seen examples of those who grumbled against spiritual leaders. I think of two men 
that in my 42 years of living here, grumbled against the spiritual leaders. And I say grumbled against the spiritual leaders. They're spiritual leaders. Creating tremendous influence on many people in a negative way, which continues even to this day. They thought they stood, but yet they fell, bringing tremendous harm to many others. That stands in contrast to several men that I know in this area that had issues with their spiritual leaders. And they followed the biblical pattern of going to their spiritual leaders and talking to them and discussing some things and resolving some things and those leaders being addressed and things were worked out. And that had a tremendous impact in a very, very positive way. In Corinth, Paul uses a negative example, appealing to Israel's history when they did not respond to Moses. And I say this in way of encouragement to our church. I think we all know that in recent months we have going, are going through a difficult period in history, in our church history. And back in December, we as leaders, we as elders and deacons, and myself would have said, when it hit the news media, you know, that our church, well, the church was raided, and then that was on the news and so on. Scott would have stood up one morning, and would have I would have encouraged the same, and we'd done that a number of times along the way. Trust leadership. We can't explain everything but trust us, except our leadership. And then we know that we had a situation in early February where, again, the search warrant was unsealed and the news media was all over that. And some things that you were not aware of became much more out in the open. But during that two-month period, 60 days, and I say this to your credit and to your praise, I did not hear one person grumble. You may have, we don't know what's going on here, you've got to tell us. At least I didn't come back to me, it didn't come back to the board, I don't think. That was following leadership. That was learning from example of Israel. And I say that to your praise, to your credit. That in life sometimes... We follow leadership. Even though we don't understand. Israel didn't, their leaders were not happy with Moses and Aaron's leadership. They resisted. And my encouragement in the future is that we follow leadership. We're in the dark to some extent as leaders as a church at this point in time. What does the future hold? We can't speak with dogmatism. Just as I and 
The elders and deacons need to trust in the Lord. You trust us as we seek to lead. So I and the leaders are somewhat in the dark. Again, we don't know what the future holds. But we follow our leader. Paul says, there's no temptation taking you except what is coming to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Corinthians were not the first to be tempted to resist leadership. The Israelites have been through that. If we're tempted to resist leadership, we're not the first. The Corinthians have been through that. Israel have been through it. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God had made a way for Israel to come through their temptation to resist Moses and Aaron's leadership. They chose not to respond. Paul says to the Corinthians, there's a way that you can respond to this. And he says more about that in 2 Corinthians. And the same is true today. But when you're tempted, you'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So we look at the examples from Israel's history. Let them make a mark in our lives and live and respond in light of that. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we as a body of believers don't live in isolation from history. We live in light of church history. We live in light of the history of the Corinthians. We live in light of Israel and what happened to them. And as Paul encouraged the Corinthians to learn from the history of Israel, may we as a body of believers learn from the Corinthians, but also from Israel. Letting them make a mark upon us as to how we live, as to how we respond. Knowing that as we are tempted in various areas of life, others have been tempted. You are faithful. You won't tempt us or allow temptation to come as beyond what we can handle. And will with the temptation make a way for us to make it through. May we live in light of that, Father. Not only in this season of our church and various individuals and what they're facing, but as a pattern of life. We love you, Father. We want to be faithful to you. And we know you can do beyond what we can ask or imagine, and we want to live in light of that power at work in us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.